chases Jacob, this time knowingly, and sends him over to Laban. So while he's with Laban, this is where our story picks up because we're, we've been looking at five relationship principles, if you will, that sort of come out in the narrative. And Jacob has met his match. And the theme really is a man reaps what he sows. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, or the churches of Galatia, he says these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he has sown. We call it, if you will, the law of the harvest. What you plant, you will grow. The old children's song, you should know, no, no. What you plant is what you grow. Anyway. The law of the harvest. And we should know that. You should know, no, no. What you plant is what you grow. He planted deceit, and from the deceit, he's reaping a harvest now of deceit. And he met his match in Laban. Think about this for a moment, and this is just to tuck away in your pocket for what the Lord administrate through. Sometimes God puts people in our lives to work things out of us. Do you know that the thing that bothers you about someone else is probably the very thing that's working in you? It's a reality. You know the story of King David. He took and he, 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 he behaved poorly. He took Bathsheba from Uriah, sent Uriah to the front lines of the military conflict knowing that Uriah was going to lose his life committed murder so that he could have Bathsheba, this woman that was off limits because she was married. So Nathan the prophet comes and tells a story. And David's enraged by the reality that there is a man in his kingdom that would take a single lamb of a family, and then this man has a whole horde of sheep. And he says, who is this guy? I'll administrate some justice on him. And Nathan points his finger at him and says, you're the man. It's you. It's you. And it's interesting to me that God would put Laban with Jacob, maybe to be working a little bit of that supplanting out of him and to work some God things in. So when you identify some people in your life that are a little bit difficult to be around, anybody ever notice someone to be difficult around? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, don't worry, it's not you. <laughs> And if it is them, hey, just be honest with them, right? But here's the reality for us. Here's the reality for us. Because everybody here has people that rub them wrong. And what that is that's causing that rub in you, be careful. That may be the very thing that's working in you. And God may want to work that out of you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's let God have his way in that regard. But that's just uh, that's another principle probably. We're not getting there. So, Jacob and his life, we've looked at already the principle of priority, first things first. The idea that God has a design and his design was in family, and we can learn relational things in family. Don't be in a hurry to get out of Dodge. That was the idea. Be, be where God has you and learn relational things in that setting. Learn to love. Learn to be loved. And all those pieces come, can come together. And what you sow, you're going to reap. So if you're sowing the wrong stuff in family, look at these guys loving on each other. That's the that's right kind of stuff to sow. That, that idea where we sow love, we're going to reap love. But if you're sowing, if you're sowing, I don't know, contempt, criticism, and all those things, hey, that's probably what you're going to be reaping as well. So we learn to navigate relationship. That was the first one. So the uh, principle of priority, first things first. The principle of patience. All things in due season. All be, hey, let's wait. Let's not try and harvest early. Let's wait. And we talked a little bit about relationship and uh, boys and girls. Relationship. Jacob, the, he waited. And Rachel, she waited. There was, in due season, the right kind of relationship stuff would occur. 
seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Does that make sense? Okay, so the principle of patience, the principle of purity, a valuable reality. Here's a thought. Just think about it this way. We value precious metals in our world because of their rarity. The rarer the metal, the more value it has. Gold, platinum, they have high value because of their rarity. If we are pure relationally, that rarity will have a greater value when a man and a woman wait until they're married to consummate that which is what God intended, hey, it's going to be of great value. But if it's exploited in years of unmarriage where there's fornication and all forms of lewdness, when a person gets into a marriage scenario, it has less value. Do you understand that? Keep yourself, young people. And the same thing in a monogamous way we're going to look at today. Every man, woman, and child, every man, woman who's married should, (laughs) I said child, every man and woman should keep that monogamy. So, we pick up, and I'd like to read Genesis chapter 29, uh, verses 18, probably through 31. Let Let me ask this question first, though. How many of you today would say, um, my journey, I'm in a difficult time in my journey. I mean, just with all honesty, your walk, your life right now, you're overwhelmed or you've got circumstances. Just raise your hand and say, man, my journey's kind of tough. Okay, handful, handful. Hold them up, hold them up high. I just, everybody look around. There, there's some reality, right? Some difficulty. Uh, maybe you're here this morning. And you're in the midst of a storm, or like there's a tempest. Um, maybe you're here this morning, and there is a place of sorrow or sadness or depression. Maybe you're here today, and you're just in the normal phase of life where you're just like, I mean, everything is fine. I'm neither up nor down. I'm just kind of, this is just like I've found my normalcy in living. Um a show of hands, how many of you absolutely love doing the dishes? Wow, there's one of you. I got a half over here. (laughs) It was like, well, sort of. How many of you love cooking? Yeah, okay, more, right? All the chefs say, yeah, but I don't want to do the dishes. (laughs) How many of you love to eat? Woo-hoo! It's the dishes. It's the dishes afterwards, right? Let me ask you a question. No matter what the circumstances of your 24-hour day, no matter the season you may be in, whether it's a week, you've had a rough week. Actually, today's Sunday. It's the beginning of the week, so hopefully it's not a difficult week yet. But no matter where you are, God is there. Amen? Amen. We lose sight sometimes of the mundane and the normalcy of living. We have in historical narratives throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament, even the New Testament, we have gaps. And we, we see a moment in time and then a moment in time and then a moment in time. In some of the prophets' lives, they may go 30 years without a revelation from the Lord that we have recorded for us. But that didn't mean they didn't live 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks in a year. In all those years, they did the normalcy of life. They made food, and they ate the food, and they took out the trash, and they fed the dog, and they did, I mean, all of those things they had going on, and God is there. And so no matter where you are, on a spectrum of high or low in your activities, let's not lose sight of the journey. The journey. For 
all of us, if your faith today is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're looking for our future. Amen? How many of us are longing for heaven? We're like, I can't wait to get to heaven. But we're not there yet. And so let's, for lack of a better way of saying it, let's enjoy the journey. In other words, let's be on path and find joy in the midst of it. And I'll tie this into our portion of Scripture. So let's look at this historical narrative, Genesis 29, beginning in verse 18. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now, he had traveled the 500 miles. He was about 75 years old, and that translates into us. You know, I've mentioned this before, but they lived longer, about twice what we do now. And so this is probably somewhere 35, 40 years old. Uh, He's ready to be married. He's going to his uncle's house to find a relative to marry under the same roof. And by this time, that was still an approved thing and okay to do later on. Uh, some, Some rules come in and get changed, but it's okay at this point. And so he's on his way, and he makes his way to Haran, and he discovers that he's there. He's at a well, and he uh, asks some of the men there at the well, or these young men who are tending sheep, and he says, do you know Laban? They say, we do. Is he well? Yes, he is. In fact, this is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the sheep even now. He sees Rachel, and he runs, embraces her, kisses her, says, I'm your relative, And she runs home, tells Laban, Laban meets him. And so there's staying at Laban's house for about 30 days. And he's in love with Rachel. He's ready. And so Laban says, hey, you're a relative. You shouldn't work for free. What are your wages? And he says, well, I'll work seven years for your daughter. And so he says, um, says, Now, uh, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better to give that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. I want you just to kind of keep your finger on verse 20 there. Again, served seven years, but they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. There's that wait thing. They waited. They had propriety. They kept the cart behind the horse. Does that make sense? They did not have sex. They did not consummate relationally until proper time. That's a significant thing biblical design. Sex before marriage is fornication. Sex with another woman after you're married is adultery. The Word of God does not mince words. Does that make sense? Everybody? Jesus clarified that. He says, if you look at a woman and you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. Let's be wise in our conduct and let's bring captive every thought. Does that make sense? It goes for the women. If you're looking at another man and you're having thoughts, it's adultery. So let's not do that. I mean, there's wisdom there. Can I get an amen? And if the Word of God cuts like a knife and and it's touching something in you and there's conviction in your heart, hey, praise the Lord. Repent, right? I mean, that's thanks be to God that the Word penetrates to the dividing of the soul and spirit, the bone and the marrow. Pretty simple stuff. Okay. So he goes on and he says uh, that I may go into her, verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. When it's done right and when it's done well and there's propriety, hey, there really is a celebration. That's, that's epic. Okay, let, me, let me also give some health. Can I just give a little health barometer here? I think this is important. You know that sometimes in the church, because of the fornication and all of the sin that occurs before a man and a woman come together in a marriage, somehow sex seems dirty when people are married. It's not. It's not at all. It's, it's beautiful. It's the gift of God. And it's epic. 
but it's preserved in its way. And it can be redeemed, even if it, even if it wasn't preserved, God can redeem it and make it good. Can I get an amen? Amen. If we model health in our marriages in the church, and we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in our marriages in the church, we can see the next generations healthier than ours. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me that the statistics of marriages in churches are equal to the statistics of marriages outside of the church. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. It ought not be. Can I get an amen? And I know that's a sorrowful amen, but this is our day to model health and to communicate health in marriage. Because I got news for you, every single person here, hallelujah, great. Praise God in its right context. All of marriage relationships is epic if we do it right, putting God first. Okay. So, he says, feast. Let's have the feast. Let's celebrate. This is good. Now, it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Jacob had no idea. Here is you reap what you sow. He sowed deception. He's going to get deception. He's going to reap it. He had no idea. She's completely veiled. They're in a tent. There's no flipping a switch and having the lights come on and saying, oh, wait, you're Leah. I, I, I didn't do this for you. Where's Rachel? No. He had no idea. came to pass in the evening again that he took Leah, his daughter, and went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Now, we don't get the emphasis or the intonation, but I got a sneaky suspicion that the way this exclamation came out and this question came out was absolute audacity. He's waited 70, probably 82 years. 82 years. He saved himself only to be deceived in one night. This is not the woman I love. How could you do this to me? He's, he's devastated. Devastated. He says, uh, uh, what is, uh, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done in our country. So in our country, to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for serving, uh, for the service which you will serve me with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave, he, Laban, gave him his daughter Rachel all, as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Verse 31. When the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay. So the fourth principle in our series of five is what I would call the principle of passage. And the idea there is to enjoy the journey. And what I, lo what I love about this portion in Genesis 29, it says, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days. And I'd like to suggest to you that when we do what God has designed and made us to be, that no matter what we're about, whether we're making widgets, whether we're selling the widgets, whether we're managing the process of the widgets, whether we're gathering the raw materials for the widgets, no matter what it is, if it's what God has designed us to do, we really won't be working any days of our lives. The 168 hours that we are given in every week will be fulfilling because we will be doing what God has designed us to do and to be. Does that make sense? I mean, the most blessed person in this world is the one who never works a day in their lives because what they do is who they are. Does that make sense? 
What they do is who they are. How many of us would like to sign up for that one, right? Well, listen, follow the Lord in obedience. Amen? Amen. Discover. I've said this, and you've heard it many, many times. Many pastors have said this. The two greatest days of a person's life, the day they're born and the day they discover why they were born. That's talking to the Lord and finding out, God, what am I supposed to do? What do you have for me to do? And then go do that in obedience to the Lord. Jacob here, he was a shepherd. And he knew sheep. We know that because when he gets to the well in Haran, he says to the boys, he says, hey, it's like the middle of the day. What are you doing here? The sheep should be feeding right now. Water these sheep and get them back out to graze. He's coaching them because he understands shepherding. So serving for seven years, that's nothing for twofold. Number one, he had a vision for the future, but he was doing what God had made him to be. Does that make sense? I wonder today in this room, ask yourself, do you have a vision for your life? A God-birthed vision. Do you have a vision for your marriage? Do you have a vision for your family? Do you have a vision? That thing that you say, oh, God will help us get there. God's leading us there. We're looking forward. It's, it's hope. And it spurs you toward growth. It spurs you. Listen, on a relation, you can, you can do very simple tests. A little relationship scale, 0, 10. Husbands and wives, listen. Evaluate how are you doing relationally. Just relationally. If you say, I'm a 3, how about husbands and wives talk and say, hey, Maybe, maybe you think, maybe the male thinks, I'm, well, we're a five, and the, and the gals think, oh, I'm a three. Well, let's average that and bring it to a four. But then talk with one another and say, how can we become a five? What can we do together with God's help to get us there? If it's an unbelieving spouse, simply what can we do to get better? How about just talking about some of the principles that we talked about? First things first, that kind of a thing. And make and set goals. If you have no goals, you'll hit them every time. That's a real deal. No goal, you're going to hit it. Nothing. But if you establish a goal, and particularly a God-given goal, you're going to. Does God want health in your relationship? Yes. Yes. And so, the passage. Now, think about it from point A to point B. In the process, if you live just for the point, you'll miss this part right here. I, I, I've been to a number of memorial services, and I've, I've listened to pastors and ministers, and they talk about the birth date and the departure date, and the object between those dates is the dash. And the dash matters. Because that's, that, that's the sum total of the life. This is entry point. This is exit point. But this is the person. The dash. It represents a lot. We should, we should slow down. We should pause. It would be healthy for all of us to smell the roses. How about see the roses? 75, 80... Eight, probably 82 years, a, a, a large portion of that, he's doing some shepherding. He's tending. He's growing. He's learning. He's becoming. Jacob, they, they, were, like, they were like a few days to him. And I don't know what it is that you, well, most of you, I know, I, I have a feel for what you do. And if you're, whether you're good, average, strive to honor the Lord in what you do. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do heartily as unto the Lord. I used to hear guys in the steel industry all the time, well, I'm working for the man. I'm like, you're, when we get proper perspective for the believer, you're working for the Lord. 
You're working for the Lord. Do so heartily as unto the Lord. When working for the Lord, the doldrums will go away. I love, I love Jacob's experience coming out of Bethel. Bethel, the house of God. It says, he went on his way. He continued to walk. And the literal translation is, again, he lifted up his feet. And he was like dancing in his walk. He got his groove on. He's moving. I wonder sometimes. Remember, Jacob, when he got to Bethel, the sun went down. He's like, <laughs> I don't even have a blanket. I'm going to give you a pillow. Here's a rock. And he lays down and he puts his head on the rock. He has this amazing dream. Angels ascending and descending on this staircase. up in the morning and he declares this is the house of God and this is the gate surely God is here and I did not know it he slowed down and realized this he had an encounter and here's the amazing thing he had an encounter with the second person of the trinity Jesus Christ. Because we're told later by Jesus himself when he was talking to Nathaniel. He said, well, you think that was something because I told you where you were this morning and I saw you? He said, you're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, or on the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus was the latter. And he saw was there and surely God and I think sometimes we don't slow down enough because we're in a hurry anybody here busy raise your hand if you're busy and you've got a lot going on how many of us wonder sometimes maybe you get up and you have devotions in the morning but do we forget and then we get home at night and we're like hustle bustle cook eat family whatever it looks like and then we're like oh we lay down again at night and we're like oh God thanks for today it was great miss them throughout. I guess, I guess what's in my heart and what, what I desire for all of us, God is with us in all that we do. He is with us. He's with us. So the process and the growth and the day in and the day out and what we esteem as mundane, God is there. He knows the dishes need to be washed. He knows that feet need to be washed. Imagine what that was like when all the boys sitting around the table were like, oh, no one's really washed feet today. Are you kidding me? They were just talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God when they're headed towards the last Passover that Jesus is going to partake. This is the meal that I've longed to have with you. And they're moving down the street. And you see this crowd of 13. They're just kind of walking down the street, and some of them are talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I could just imagine Jesus was probably just going, seriously, Peter. But as they make their way to the staircase that goes to the upper room where that meal is going to be partaken, these guys who were talking about who's the greatest, they recognize that around that table, the person who sits to the immediate right of the head of the table is the most important person. What do you think 12 guys who are talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom are starting to do as they're navigating towards the staircase? <laughs> they're like going to speed up because if you get to the staircase first, you can choose which seat you are sitting at. Neglecting that they forgot the parable that Jesus had told about don't sit at the head of the table, sit at the end of the table, and when the headmaster comes in, he'll see you sitting down there and he'll invite you up rather than inviting you to step down while someone else gets invited up. 
And these guys get up there, and they, they all walk past the basin for washing feet and washing hands and that kind of stuff. They all walk by. They're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. They get in the room, and, and no one washes anyone's feet. Because that would be like admittance, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. No one wants to do that. But what does Jesus do? He gets up from the table, takes off his outer garment, if you will, his coat, wraps a towel around himself, pours water in the basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He's modeling the importance. He knows the mundane needs to be done. And he's in the mundane. So no matter where you are, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him, he endured. He did, he did the mundane and he did the marvelous and he did the magnificent. And I would, just, I would recommend and just encourage every one of us to look for Jesus in all of the little things. What does God have you doing right now? What does he have you doing? Serve the Lord in that. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And it's not about rising up on the corporate ladder or rising up in the pecking order or whatever that looks like. In the kingdom of God, the greatest amongst you will be what? A servant of all. Oh, that we would learn and be kingdom-minded rather than worldly-minded or earthly-minded. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So, if you're lacking joy in what you're doing, in what God has you doing right now, it may be twofold. Maybe you are a round peg in a square hole. And you're not doing what you should be doing. That God has something else for you. Maybe you've had that nagging sense I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. My encouragement to you today is spend time with the Lord. Ask the Lord. He'll show you. He'll tell you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. The Spirit who lives in you for every believer, and I'm looking around, and probably most of us are all believers in the Lord. The Lord, the Holy Spirit who's in you, He will lead you into all truth. He will guide your footsteps. He will direct your path. He will point you in the right direction. And He'll help. And when you get there, well, I tell you, doing what God has for you, there's joy. There's joy. I've been around peg. <laughs> no emphasis on round. I've been around peg in a square hole. And I know what that's like. And I know... And you may be good at what you do, but if you have no business doing well, what you have no business doing. Can I get an amen, Mom? That's her saying. That's, I mean, famous Sherry Leahy saying, you have no business doing well what you have no business doing. So you may be good at it, but if, it's not, if you're not finding joy and the satisfaction, ask the Lord, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And again, if we learn serve the Lord in what we're doing. We'll find joy. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, Paul writing to the church in Colossus, he says, I walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, but gain in this matter. I believe that it, if, we, if we live along the road or the passage or the journey that we're on, if we live here and we experience the joy along the way, those who are on the outside, they're going to see our lives and they're going to wonder, why are you always, well, most of the time, seemingly joyful? What's, what's working in you? That's the prime opportunity to say, man, this is not something that's innate in me. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus has done the work in me. 
so that I am a Christ follower that gets to pump gas or make cupcakes or do electrical work or whatever it is that you do. Kingdom first. Jesus first. Does that does that make sense? Praise God. Okay. All right, let's let's migrate. I'm going to be a little quicker on this one. Principle of preeminence. This is a um, what I would call a treasure heart ratio, a relationship. Now, Genesis chapter 29, verse 30 and 31, we see the mention of Jacob's love for Rachel. The King James says in verse 31 that he loved Rachel and he hated Leah. But I want you to understand that's really a contrasting term. His love for Rachel was so great that it seemed like he completely neglected Leah. And his, his treasure was in his love for Rachel. So his heart was there. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Leah, comparative to Rachel, was completely neglected. Now, we don't have time today to go into the whole polygamy thing, but here's, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said it this way. You cannot serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. Now, brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want that to soak in for a moment. You cannot serve two masters. you're married in this room, love your spouse and only your spouse. Anything outside of that, anything that erodes that is wrong. Can I get an amen? serve both God and mammon. If you have a divided heart, what do we know? A kingdom divided against itself, what? Cannot stand. No foundation, wrong foundation, sinking sand kind of foundation stuff. James chapter 1 reminds us our interns are memorizing this portion of Scripture right now. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And in there it says, A double-minded man ought not think that he would receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. A divided heart. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? If He's Lord then love Him with all of your heart. Can I get an amen? No divided heart. What about the idolatry? And we find time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament, Israel was adulterous, running after foreign gods. Running after foreign gods. There was not the preeminence. They did not understand if they put all their treasure in the kingdom and the king of the kingdom, they would have been okay, but they were divided. One foot in, one foot out. God's our king, but we want to do everything in our what was right in our own eyes. Give us a king. I mean, look at, look at the children of Israel when Moses is up on the mountain. Hey, Aaron. 
make us gods out of gold. Whereas for this Moses cat, we have no idea what's going on with him. I mean, immediately, they cross through the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness of Seir. Three days of journey. And they're like, it was better for us in Egypt. We should have never, did God bring us out here to kill us? What's the deal? Let's go back to Egypt. Three days. Come on. What about us? How many of us leave Sunday morning, time of worship, time of putting God first, maybe an altar response, and we get in the car, and as soon as we're driving down the road, someone, you know, navigates, interestingly, into our lane. What's going on in here, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, and mmm. Or we pick back up the argument that we had initiated on the way into church in the car and we're well, like cats fighting and we, we forget I mean, Israel three days what about some of us like three hours why it's, it's a preeminence issue it's a lordship issue is Jesus Christ Lord of your life how will you know how will you know well where your treasure is there your heart will be Simple things. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. He said, my commandments are not burdensome. Someone asked him, he said, well, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? Well, love God with all your heart. He said, the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a simple commandment. But we have to look at it. I mean, there's some people that you're struggling right now loving. Think about it for a minute. You have to ask yourself, why? Why do I struggle loving this person? You start making the list. 31 Corinthians, chapter 13. My Bible says, love carries no record of wrongdoing. If you've got a list, <laughs> you're discovering that it, the problem is you. All that to say, it's, it's, a, it's a treasure issue. Jesus Christ in the Word of God, Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God will transform our hearts and our minds so that we can love in His power. Does that make sense? And so preeminence of Jesus Christ. He is to be our all in all. Colossians chapter 1, a healthy read in Colossians chapter 1 would be so rich for us. Cannot serve two masters, Matthew 6, 23. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33. I'd like to suggest to you in a physical plane, right here, with flesh and bone, flesh and blood, you cannot serve two masters. Husbands and wives, love each other. If there's anything, anything, emotional, social, if it touches the physical, stop it. Stop it. Turn your love and your affection and your attention to your spouse. We need to communicate with one another. We need to love one another. And if there's unhealthiness there, seek help. Call us. We'll, I'm not a counselor, but we'll help you find good, rich, biblical counsel so that you can take steps and set goals and move forward. Healthy relationships. Can I get an amen? That's important. All We, we have so many newlyweds in our church. It's so exciting. <laughs> Hey, as you're starting off, start off on the right foot. Start off on the right foot. Make good choices now. Build relationships. Communicate with one another. Talk through stuff. And as you hit little bumps in the road, get walk along with a mentor couple. Have another couple come alongside you. How good is that? Coaching, helping, assisting, navigating. That's so good. 
some of us who've been married for a little while, how many of us we wish we had someone who would have walked through some of that mire with us, right? We did the school of hard knocks, so to speak. Hey, thanks be to God, Jesus was with us, and we made it. We're still going, and we're moving forward. Let's put Christ first. Let's put the Word first in our lives, and let's let it have influence in us. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we come to conclusion. The principles of practice will bring forth fruit that will last and be of great value for us in relationships. Again, principle of prioritizing. Uh, first things first. And if you, if you're, I mean, if you're beyond the family stage of living at home and under the roof of your parents and you're either single or you're married outside of that roof and environment hey keep proper prioritizing in your life god first patience all things in due season all things in due season but in their proper season uh, i can tell you that uh, bananas that are green are not nearly as good as yellow fruit early, right? But all just be patient. It'll, it'll come. And carrots that come out of the ground that are like this big are nowhere near as good as the carrots that come out of the ground that are this big. They're just good. So wait. The farmer waits. The principle of purity. Christ just in, this, in, 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 a, in a society that is sex crazed. The church must remain holy and pure for the glory of God and our gratitude to what and what Jesus has done for each one of us individually. Let's honor the Lord in our bodies. Fleeing youthful lusts as the scripture declares. Let's offer our lives as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to the Lord. The principle of passage. The joy of the journey. Finding the joy of the Lord in what God has you doing in the day in and the day out. Praise God. And then the preeminence of the Lord. Find your treasure in God's kingdom. Find your treasure in God's family. I would that everyone here would make even coming to fellowship a priority. I go to church because Jesus is here. And the beauty is I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. And I can't wait to see the Jesus stuff that he's doing in your lives. Oh, if we just came together with those regular expectations and anticipations, I just want to see the Jesus stuff in us. Amen? I mean that we would find such great value in God's kingdom, uh, that treasure heart issue. Well, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. If you're here this morning, and you would say, honestly, PD, I'm lacking some joy in my life. I'm just lacking the joy of the Lord. As the worship team is coming back up, I, PD, I'd like to sing uh, Cornerstone. I really would. I'd like to just come back to that song, Cornerstone. And uh, Christ alone, Christ alone, He's our joy, He's our strength. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I want more joy, my joy meter, if this was full, and you're way over here, and you just say, man, I just need, I want the joy of the Lord more in my life. And you know, I mean, it doesn't mean you're walking around with a Colgate smile. You could be. There may be some laughter in your life. You may have sorrow, but you can still have that constant of joy. I know my Lord, and He's in charge. It's all good. It's all good. And I'm good. You say, I just need a little more joy. If that's you, will you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand and say, I need more joy. Amen. Amen. I believe God wants to give. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. 
Father, that if we've been living kind of bullet point by bullet point and we've been missing the passage, the dash between the bullet points, that line, the shortest distance between those two points is that straight line, and oh, that straight line matters. And we've been we've been missing out on the living and the pausing and the smelling of the roses and really enjoying the process of transformation in us. Father, I pray that you would grant joy. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. Out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth would speak good. Your word says, out of the heart of that good man, good things come. So Lord, if there's just been yuck and corruption and corrosion because, God, we focused on all the things of the enemy. Maybe we've even had our heart in the things of this world rather than in the kingdom. That we get that right and we'd put, we'd find our treasure in your kingdom, God, so that that heart transformation could be changed and we could find the good things of the Lord pouring forth. Your word says that rivers of living water would flow forth. God, may those rivers come flowing. God, will you do that work? Will you fill us? Lord, if there's no room for filling, because we're full of self, I pray, God, you'd just tip our earthen vessels over, and it would just we'd be spilled out. Or maybe we'd be broken. And Jesus, you'd come and put us back together, tilt us right back up, and then fill us. Holy Spirit, come fill us fresh. Fill us fresh in your joy. Oh, joy unspeakable and full of glory, the joy of the Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And as we sing this song in benediction, God, will you be glorified and go before us. And may we have a marvelous week in Christ. Hallelujah. Pastor Dennis, let's sing this song together.